Hey, and welcome to A Better Story Podcast. Got a really insightful and enjoyable conversation for you today with author Caitlin Curtis. Caitlin is a fantastic writer who explores God and life, faith, mysticism, while drawing on her indigenous roots, her roots in both the Midwest and the South, growing up evangelical and then walking away from that. So she's going to touch on all of that really great stuff uh, as we talk around mysticism and the idea of the sacred. If you like what Caitlin is putting out there, you should check out her book, Glory Happening, which is available everywhere. You can also catch her at CaitlinCurtis.com. You can catch her at Sojourners, Relevant Online, On Being, and a ton of other online platforms. So make sure to check out her writing and all those different platforms. Really fantastic stuff. So with that, enjoy the conversation with Caitlin Curtis. Um, So I'd love to hear, this is a really big, broad question, but a little bit about what shaped you. And you can define that however you want, place, culture, faith. Um, How did you become you? You know, faith has always been a part of my life. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, but also grew up native, Potawatomi Citizen Band. I'm an enrolled member of that tribe. And so had this kind of strange mixture of both and um, became disconnected from my indigenous um, identity at a young age. And so now reclaiming that um, as an adult has been really interesting, but it's just brought me back to the reality that the idea of God and of sacredness has always been a part of me and um, has always been important to me to find meaning in things or, you know, um, to try to make sense of things in that kind of way has always been a part of who I am, no matter where I've lived or, you know, what season of life I've been in. I think that's always been a common thread for me. Yeah. Do you remember the messages that you got either explicitly or implicitly about your indigenous roots as a, um, I I like to pick on Southern Baptist because I also grew up Southern Baptist, but we can also just use the term like evangelical or fundamentalist, whatever people know, listeners know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Actually, I pretty much remember crickets. I don't remember anything ever being said in the church about Native people. And because I had kind of been separated from my identity, I never knew to bring it up, you know? So it's not like something I would have said, oh, you know, could we talk about Columbus? Or could we talk about something that's not adding up? Like, I was never taught really anything that would show that there's a difference or that something should be brought up. I wasn't taught enough taught enough about my culture to to have those questions, sadly. So until until adulthood really. Um and so mostly growing up, what I noticed and I'm really processing now is that my faith uh growing up was always so individualistic. Everything was like your soul, your salvation. And if you cared about other people, it was just to care about their souls getting into hell or getting into heaven or hell, you know? Like, <laughs> it's a Freudian uh, slip of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that was like all that everything revolved around, you know? Um, that leaves out a lot of um, talking about communities and how we relate and how we connect. That leaves out all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. So what was it that made you reconnect um, with those like indigenous roots and made you sort of um, explore Uh, that and reawaken that? A few years ago, I started reading um, some more maybe mystic, if you want to call it the mystic tradition, not not a lot of like ancient mystics, but, you know, like Brennan Manning and Thomas Merton. So, you know, semi modern (laughs) um, or modern Um, Barbara Brown Taylor, who I think is a beautiful mystic writer. Um, 
I was reading some of them and, and at the same time that that happened, um, I had this, we were hiking somewhere here in Atlanta and God kind of said to me and spoke over me, like you are Potawatomi, like, do you, do you get what that means sort of thing? And it just like turned everything on for me. You know, it's like almost these latent sort of, um, ideas and like things I knew that, that it must mean more to be Potawatomi than what I know. Like there must be something more hidden underneath. And it was kind of that moment where God said, there's a lot more and now you can find out what that is. And so kind of those two things together kind of awakened, you know, my book and everything that's come out of that and who I am now. Yeah. Um, this is probably hard to like maybe summarize succinctly. You don't have to be succinct. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> how would you say that as you've explored those Potawatomi roots, how has that informed your faith now? Because I would assume there's sort of like there's an interplay and exchange yeah. and those sort of things. Um, it's greatly enriched it, you know, because I feel like I know more of who I am. And I also feel like I have a wider view of who God is because, you know, if I was still Southern Baptist, this conflict would be like, there's this heathen part of me and then there's this saved part. Like, and that's not what I feel now, but growing up in that, that's like anything that's outside of even the Baptist church is seen as, as other, as, you know, it's just the way we're taught to, to view the world as black and white in or out sort of thing. Being indigenous, you know, being, tied to the land, having prayer and ceremony, like all these things that, that characterize like who we are and are important to us all have enriched who God is, but also has reminded me that like the mystery of God is so much bigger than, you know, even as Christians, we tend to put God in a box. Every religion, you know, does that because we're creating dogmas or we're creating, you know, we're trying to make sense of things, you know, that's just what humans do. It's been really good for me to have something that pulls me out of that dogma or pulls me out of that space to like find out more of who I am and also just to like sit in the ministry of, of who God is in ways I can't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if um, this was like a universal Southern Baptist experience or like fundamentalist experience, but um, I think as the like really subtle messages I got, not just of like any sort of like indigenous faith, but really any faith different than um, that very narrow form would like, it would be considered some sort of like idolatry or false God or something like that. And the irony is like, the more I look at the stories of scripture, idolatry is just having too small of a view of God, not like the wrong view of God, which is the irony is that was its own form of idolatry, I think. Right. That's a good way to put it. I was terrified of Catholics. Like, I, yeah. I like thought they were the worst, you know, cause that's, yeah. it's just like the things that, and that, that wasn't even a, that was a subtle thing under the radar. That wasn't ever said to me. It was just like, it's different. So it must be bad, you know? Yeah. So I got those messages too, but then my mom was Catholic. So it was like, oh, but <laughs> I love her. So, um, well, it's funny then that you started reading Catholic mystics, like modern mystics who are like all the best ones seem to be Catholic. Yeah. And so they ended up sort of expanding your faith in that way too. Mm-hmm. You, I think in the book, you sort of, would you use the language of mysticism for your own faith at this point? Is that yeah. safe to, to say? Yeah. Okay, cool. How would you begin, this is maybe an oxymoron, how would you begin to like define that for people if they're kind of intimidated or unsure what um, mysticism is? You know, I first, 
I would tell people that anyone is a mystic because I think that we reserve the idea of who is a mystic for like monks and nuns. You know, we like say, oh, they can be, you have to be like away from everything and you have to be, you know, like we like have these sort of ideas of what, what it takes to be one. And, and I tell people all the time, like we can have moments of mystic faith and we can have a mystic faith anywhere at any time. I feel like, um, kind of like what my book is about is just, if you want to call yourself a mystic, it's just the active work of, um, paying attention and of honoring what is sacred in everyday experiences. And, and that can happen with anybody. You know, I think it's the, um, like the, what is it? The Irish idea of the thin place, like we're, we're knowing that something holy is going on or we're knowing that there's, you know, a dimension of our life that God is a part of, or that if you don't want to say God, you know, that, that there's mysteries there, that there is something beautiful there that we can glean from. I think that that's, that's what it is to me. I guess that that's how I describe it. Yeah. Do you find it harder to tap into that sort of sacredness of life with just like the shit show that is life in the United States right now. I don't want, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I don't think that's being pessimistic. No, it, is. I think that's... it is a bit of a shit show. Um, yes, it is. I, what I'm finding the conversations I'm having on like Twitter and Facebook is that people are traumatized and exhausted. And, um, there's something, there's some really important connection between mysticism and self care, you know, that, that, that we have to like take, take space for our own souls. And if you're going to look into your own soul, like I think you're going to encounter a mystic experience because you're paying attention and you're, you're asking hard questions, but you're, you're digging into those spaces that are neglected maybe, or just taking a break and watching Netflix. That can be a mystic experience. I mean, that can be a sacred space because what's happening right now is like, especially on social media, that's just where we all are, you know, like that's where the news is. And if I'm on it for too long, I can feel myself like I can get jittery. I start getting like jittery and shaky. I start getting really pessimistic and angry and I'm like not an angry person. So it's really, um, when I started noticing that I was like, holy cow, if I feel this way, then how are other people feeling? And it is, it's, I mean, people are seriously having like PTSD and and trauma from this stuff. And, and it makes it really hard like we have to work so much harder to like take care of each other and ourselves like everybody I just want to like I just want to make sure people are okay because when the news hits and it's something horrible again or something ridiculous like people on all sides like I just am I worry that we that we don't value self-care or like quiet as much as maybe we should or stepping away as much as we should yeah, I appreciate the the connection between mysticism and self care. Um, when I see your writing, I also see a connection between mysticism and like activism. And um, that a lot of your writing is um, very mystical, and then some of it is very activist, and then a lot of it, or it's all sort of infused in the same thing too. Right. What kind of connections do you see there? How? Do, what's the interplay there? Yeah, I think that activism and mysticism feed each other a lot. Like I um I went to a conference last year that was on like contemplation and activism. How do those things, you know, fit together? It's it's a similar thing, I think. I also think, you know, it's important to you know, if someone can't go to a protest or if someone can't do the things that everyone says you need to do to be an activist, like people also need to understand that like your activism can be 
you being at home praying or you being outside in nature, just like knowing who you are, because like to be healthy and to be whole in, in the way of having a mystic faith and then self care, like that in itself, being a healthy person in the world and like trying to find shalom or, you know, like create peace, like that is activism. And it can be, um, you know, cooking a meal for somebody or cooking with your kids or taking care of your kids and helping them become good people. Like the, those things to me are all activist things. Um, yeah. You don't have to be the top person on Twitter, like doing all the stuff and going to every protest. Like it's good to go to that stuff. It's good to do that and to show that public, you know, support, but you know, activism can also happen in our daily experiences as well. Yeah. I really appreciate that because we act sometimes like there's this like dichotomy between the two, like you're, you engage in mystical activity and then you engage in, engage in activism, but um, connecting with the sacred like helps us tend to ourselves in our wounds, which mm-hmm. um, when we don't tend to those creates these injustices on small scales and large scales. Like, right. It's kind of a cliche, but like if Donald Trump would have been hugged a few more times and maybe done some more meditation as a kid, right. there's way more than that. But know, like maybe but we'd I be wonder, in a different situation. I wonder about that. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so when you write, you, um, especially in Glory Happening in your book, you, it seems like do very little talking directly about God. Like you aren't making a lot of statements about God. It's almost like you're kind of like walking around the sacred and like looking at it from different perspectives and subtleties. Um, first off, is that accurate? And if it is, like, what's behind that? Why uh, Why that approach? Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. I- I've never, um, it's so cool to hear other people, like, describe my book, because it's, I don't know if I, like, meant to do it, but it is what I was doing, you know. I think with this book, and my writing is so, um, I'm, I'm trying to, like, include and involve all the senses, you know, so every I want it to have a lot of imagery. I want it to, I want you to be able to feel like you're there, that you can picture it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. I just think I sometimes like, I don't even know how to describe God. I don't know how to use words. You know, I get, I don't want to use Lord anymore. I don't want, you know, I don't even like always using God. I don't always like using savior. You know, there's so many words that I just don't, know how to use anymore maybe like I need to I need to have them redefined or I need to understand them differently you know um than the ways I've they've been taught to me and so I sometimes would rather just like tell a story and let God be in that story and then figure out whatever is there for people than for me to like tell you what I think God should look like to you if that makes sense yeah I mean that's that's like the bulk of scripture so there's a lot of stories about What's yeah, sacred? Totally. So I think you're yeah. in good company there. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. Um, you you just said you don't like doing this, but I still want to ask. Um, to steal Rob Bell's book title, what are you talking about when you talk about God? I know it's hard to put language on, and it sounds like you're sort of shedding some of that language yeah. and picking up new language. But do you just in this moment? Like, I'm not asking to have you like define God for the rest of your yeah. life in some absolute term. Yeah. Um. You know, I've been. Um, learning my tribe's language for the last year and a half. And um, we have a, a prayer in Potawatomi, and it, it starts with miigwech mamo gosnan, which is kind of like, thank you, great father, or thank you. Um, we have gichi manitou, which is like the word for great spirit. So it's kind of these different um, different names for God, basically. But being able to pray 
in my tribe's language is something that has become one of the only ways I can pray lately and that I can speak I can speak um, a name of God that is not like doesn't have anything that can be colonized in it. <laughs> you know, like it is it is from our our tribe. It is um, from who we are. It's these words that have been passed down generation to generation, and it it's not been used in the way church. It's not you know not that I've experienced. Like it's it's something that is ours, and that's been really sacred for me to be able to to call God Mamogosnan or um, Gichi Manitou, like to, to use those words um, has been really meaningful for me because it, again, helps me step out of what I grew up with and know that God is has these different, other different parts of God and I can explore those and know those in a way that um, speaks to who I am as a Native woman, you know? And that's been really important for me. Now, it doesn't fit with everyone else, you know, but like other people may not understand, but they can understand why it's important to me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. When you write, you write a lot about place and geography and not just the places you lived, but the land that you, um, you know, have lived on. What's the what's the connection between geography and the sacred? Another overly large question, but. Have at yeah. it however you like. You know, there is, you know, the idea of Mother Earth, like like the places that we inhabit are sacred spaces. Wherever we live, we're called to take care of those spaces, you know, whether it's, um, you know, in the book, we're living in an apartment. So when I wrote the book, we didn't have a yard. So I had those plants on my balcony, all these plants, but they were like so important to me to be able to take care of them and because it was a piece of earth, you know, in, in a, in the middle of a city where there's hardly any green, anything, the earth is all we have, you know? And so if we can't, if we can't like sit in whatever season we're in and then in the literal spaces we're in, if we can't sit in those spaces and like find what is sacred in them, then we're, we're missing a lot out of life, you know? And, um, and we've missed a lot of that in the church, the, the idea of space and um, place and geography and, you know, some of those things. We don't talk about it a lot in the church, and I think we should talk about it a lot more, not just because it's like, hey, we should be recycling, but, like, to actually recognize these living things that are all over, you know, that trees and animals, like, they're, they're creatures that we belong to each other, and... Um, to tend to each other and then to be listening to God in that is a really sacred thing. And whether it's, you know, when I grew up in New Mexico and in Oklahoma or now living in Atlanta where it's, you know, a big city for me to know, like things like the, um, the land that I am currently living on was once inhabited by the Muscogee Creek people. Like for, for people to know the indigenous people who once lived here and that this land was stolen from them. You know, there's like so much history buried in our, in the land. And, and those are stories that need to be told and it'll help us learn history and it'll help us learn truth and it'll help us seek justice in new ways, I think. And I think all of that's tied to our relationship with God. You know, I think all of that goes together and then maybe we will recycle more (laughs) eventually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. That made me think, um, on our rooftop, you can stand in this spot and look over at Tacoma and you can see, um, a detention center where asylum seekers are being detained. You can see, um, a spot that used to be 
Japantown, where during World War II, they were taken out and led to internment camps. You can see a valley that used to um, be owned by uh, a few different indigenous tribes, and then that was obviously taken away. You can see um, a factory where arsenic was dumped into Puget Sound. Like, you can just, like, look at the land and see. You can also see some beautiful things. That's, like, a very depressing take on it. Um, but knowing like the history of where we live, both good and bad, I think roots us in it. And then also allows us to not make some of those same mistakes again, as we navigate a a new future together. Right. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. And to honor those lives, like it's Mm -hmm. even in knowing really difficult things, it's not like it's, it is sad and heavy and depressing, but like we have then have a responsibility to like honor those people and to learn and to have that be a part of our relationship with God. And I think that's an honor to be able to do that. You know, that we have the, we have the possibility of learning something new, you know, wherever we live and like taking that in and, and having it be a part of us and carrying that with us like that, that just brings us closer to each other. I think, you know? Yeah, definitely. Do you have places like in particular, like actual either towns, cities, locations that, um, you feel particularly connected to like I love I grew up in Kansas City so Kansas City oh. is my like my home and then spend a lot of time in California so these there's these various points where it's like when I'm there I feel a little more me a little more connected do you have yeah. those I grew up in Joplin so oh yeah right by Kansas City. Nice. um yeah I uh going back to New Mexico um I went back last summer for the first time in a very long time and it was like the the emotions I felt were so overwhelming because it was just like and I I only lived there a very short time when I was little but um but the memories just like infused in me from that time were really really um important for some reason like I just really took it in living there and being there and I think there's rich beautiful history there and especially indigenous history and um and I just love being there like I it feels like such a sacred, beautiful place that has so much like deep, beautiful history and stories to tell. So that's one of my favorite places. In our city, there are a few places that we really love to go. There's um, a place called Sweetwater Creek, which is just a, a really important um, sacred space where my family hikes sometimes. We don't go often because it's kind of far away, but it's just one of those places that's really um beautiful and we just quiet ourselves when we go there you know there's so much I don't know there, there's just like so much story that nature has to tell us not that they, it's literally like not like they're speaking to us but you know that that these like ancient places have so much to say you know and um and that's one of those places and and Uganda we my husband and I worked in Uganda in 2009 and I Every summer I like crave, I just want to go there. You know, I just want to go back and be there again and be on that land and just um, feel the pulse of it and listen to the stories of it. And I don't know when we'll go back again, but I do miss it a lot. Yeah, that shows in your writing. I yeah. mean, when you read your book, it's it's overflowing in a good way out of that. Also in your writing, you, um, which I really appreciate, don't treat mysticism um as if it's this like solo monkish activity like it it seems to have a lot to do with community and the people in your life uh, which may seem obvious but i think sometimes when i think about mysticism or even just connecting with god or the sacred um think about things like meditation um you know 
prayer, like quieting myself, all that. Um, But when you write about it, obviously you include those things, but it also has a lot to do with the connections with those around you. How do you see community connecting you with the sacred? Well, I am an extrovert, so I'm probably writing more of that than some introverts might. (laughs) Um, But yes, community is a really, really important aspect of our family's life. So uh, my my husband Travis and our two boys like we um, community is has always been a really important thing to us and and it's not like just community as in like the church community or like work community but um, like I I tell a story about a burger place in our city where we started eating every week and we just like became like family to the staff there and it was one of those things where we were searching for a a sacred place to just eat as a family. And it became that place. And, you know, those people came to our boys' birthday parties and we would go to their houses. And, you know, it was just like um, this beautiful relationship built on the fact that we just needed a place to land in a new city. And I think that that's that's mystic. That's a mystic encounter, you know. Um, You're right. Contemplation is hard. It's that's hard for me and meditation because I am a mom of two young kids. And honestly, I'm not going to get up at five every morning and meditate. I'm just not. (laughs) Um, Sleep is also important. So I, um, that's something that I, uh, struggle with is like, you know, if I'm not doing that, like how, even with my kids, like how, how do I find, how do I create a contemplative heart, even if they're running around screaming and playing, you know? And I think it is possible, but I think it takes a lot of work. And um, and then just the the fact that we have to rely on other people to help us create those spaces too. You know that my husband and I have to work together to create that in our home, or you know that um, our the people. You know, if you have roommates, like the people you live with, like you have to just you have to make that a goal. Like if this is what you want, if you want to live a slower life, like my husband and I have coffee together every morning, like and that's that's just part of our day before we, and that, that is a, that is a very contemplative time for us. Now we're doing it together, but like just to sit and be still for a little bit, like that's re- that's a really important part of our life. And so I do think it's possible and it's interesting. I'm really glad you asked that because I never necessarily thought of it that way, but, but it is like, that's a very, that can be a very communal act. You know, we can do it alone, of course, and that's great and we should, but but yeah, it is. It can be a very communal thing, and I think that that's really beautiful when we can find it. I had um, someone I was working with the other day, like, was asking about where I've lived, and I ran through like, my wife and I have been married eight years, and we are on our sixth or seventh city, wow. which has not been intentional. It's just like how life has happened. Um, and so the question always comes up, like, what's your favorite place? Um, and I do have favorite places, but like in the most non cliche way I can describe. Um, literally like everywhere has been really special and amazing when we've had that community that connects us to each other, to the sacred, to all those sort of things. And so I think there's something to that. Yeah. Introvert or extrovert, but maybe more for, maybe more for extroverts. (laughs) Um, you mentioned this a little bit, but what's the, your relationship between like slowness and connection to the sacred or to the divine? Um, because it's easy to just like speed through life and miss a lot of mm-hmm. things. Yeah, we um our family kind of intentionally tries to live against um the grain of American culture that says everything must be, you know, quick and done easy and 
as fast as you can. Like we, um, that's just something that we don't want to be tied to or bound by (laughs) for the rest of our life. And so, um, it's really important to us that we, you know, self-care is part of that. Like living a slow life means that you, like you're aware when you need it, when you need to take care of yourself, when you need to step back, when you need to, you know, go on a trip for a while or go be alone for a few days and just like reconnect with yourself. Like when we're moving so fast, we may be aware of it, but we don't know how to stop and get it, get things back in line. And, um, and I think that's another kind of curse of, of America is that we do that all the time to ourselves and to each other. And it's really hard. And, and I think it's something that if we want to do it, we have to just like decide to do it and, and hold each other up in doing it. You know, you find community where other people do it too, you know? And for some people that's not an option. Some people work two to three jobs and like, you know, and that's not an option for them. And so even in that, like you have to be able to notice when other people need that space and like step in and allow them <clears throat> to have that slowness for themselves or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I just think we're, we're just so hurried all the time. <laughs> And uh, I think it's bad for our health, probably. Yeah, I'm no doctor, but I think that's a safe <laughs> assumption for sure. Yeah, I notice that all the time where like, literally, I just get more stressed out. And it's even in like stupid things like how I walk my dog. Mm. Like, if I'm just yanking him along, I'm like, oh, this isn't about the dog. This is about like, yeah. my pace and my life and other things that are going on. Right. I'm right now. I, I'm a pretty impatient person. And so that's been something I've had to work on for the last few years is like, to, you really have to remind yourself, like, it's okay if things move slowly or it's okay if they're not what you think they'll be. And, you know, like, and having, if you if you have that kind of mystic part of your faith grounded, like, it helps. It does help to kind of get those other things in line. But it's still a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wrote this question and I sent it to you ahead of time and I hate it, but I like the idea behind it. Um, <laughs> the question is, do you have any mystical life hacks, which is like, <laughs> a terrible BuzzFeed article name, but, but what's behind her, what I mean is, um, anything that like tunes you back in, uh, to the universe and to life. Like for me, I will, um, tend to think about like how tiny we are in the midst of like an ever expanding universe and like how insignificant we are. And at the same time, like what a ridiculous miracle it is that we actually exist. Even if you don't believe in God, like just pure science and evolution. Like right. the fact that we're sitting here right. talking to each other is ridiculous. So anyway, anything like that yeah. for you? Um, going outside is definitely one of those things, especially going outside and not taking my phone or, you know, even if it's just in the front yard, like just to sit, you know, um, that is um, a, a big one. Along with that, just stepping away from social media is always good. I mean, I love it. And Twitter is amazing. I found amazing people, you know, Facebook's great, email's great, but those things are not, they're still noise, you know, like they're, they can be really good and those relationships can be awesome, but it's still a lot of noise. And I find that it, like my, my brain gets cluttered by it pretty easily. And so, um, so I have to, like, I, I took, um, Twitter and Facebook off my phone for a while because it, we just have this habit of like just clicking on it without even thinking about like, we don't need to do that. You know, like it can be on my computer. It's fine. So, um, creating like boundaries helps me get to the point where I can get, you know, grounded again. Um, especially outside, 
Um, I really love trees and like walking in the woods. Um, that's a really meaningful thing to me. And it's the same that you were saying, like, I love being able to look up and feel small. I think feeling small just roots us to our humility. And it's a really beautiful thing to remember, like, why we're called to be humble. Like, we are, we are here to learn a lot and to listen a lot. And so that's like a beautiful reminder when you're like looking at a giant oak tree or a giant pine tree and it's dropping, you know, pine cones on your head. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's a beautiful thing because we get to just to be quiet and listen, you know, and that's, um, that changes a lot of things and kind of fixes us back to where we need to be. So yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah. That that's funny. I've, thought about this some lately like that smallness is the same feeling that I was shooting for in like my evangelical worship days you know except I was attaching terms and theologies to it that I would not claim now but the the underlying reality I think is the same which maybe helps me like I don't know tend to some of those evangelical wounds a little bit so it comes full circle maybe (laughs) yeah yeah that's good Speaking of coming full circle, I love to have guests um, reclaim old terms for us. So you were Southern Baptist. Um, sounds like that was not like you aren't still Southern Baptist. So no. obviously it wasn't sticking for you. And often I find that folks who have sort of gone through the deconstruction and reconstruction, whatever phase they may be in, find old terms with some new meaning. So right. anything that you've uh, you've picked up again in terms of like a a spiritual term. Oh gosh. No pressure. I was thinking about this earlier and I <laughs> couldn't think of anything then either. Let me think for a minute. I know are yeah. some, right now I'm still like, I've, I've swung the pendulum where I'm like, I'm not using any of these words, you know, like how you yeah. do that. Like eventually yeah. you swing back and you find like a center where you're like a few of these will work, but, um, yeah. but it's hard. And you can just say no. That's totally okay. Right now, I think right now I'm still pretty hard in like processing phase where also because I'm indigenous, like pretty much everything like from like most worship songs to even the way we interpret Bible stories, like I'm finding like to me just like reeks of colonialism which makes it really difficult for me, even in a non-Baptist church, just like all of it, you know, it's the white American church, like in, in so many ways is really difficult for me right now. And so the, the terms that we use, you know, I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with that term. Save one. Nice. But even, but really like even the idea of who Jesus is, like recognizing that Jesus was a brown man, and not a white one or, you know, that Jesus wasn't a missionary or, you know, like the things that you kind of like paint a picture of who Jesus is growing up in the Baptist church and realizing like, oh, that's not, that's not even historically true. Um, that is an idea that has been reclaimed for me in a really beautiful way to see that, to see Jesus as like this guy who toppled oppressive systems and who cared for the oppressed and like really cared and did crazy things and people thought he was crazy and people didn't like him. And, you know, like to see him as that more than like the just like soft, calm white man with pretty hair, you know, like it, it makes it to reclaim that has actually been really important for me. So that really is fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned these stories sort of reeking of colonialism. Do you do you have like one of those classic Sunday school stories that comes to mind when you think of that? Can you like point it out for us so that we can sort of name um, it? I think mine more than more than like Bible stories and teachings is worship because I was a worship I've been a worship leader for so long and so um songs that are about like there's a there's a song that we sing at our church sometimes that's about like um you know Jesus being like a warrior and and I get that that's beautiful but like um, what does it mean to all the other people in the room that Jesus is a warrior? You know, what is Jesus fighting for? Is Jesus fighting for the colonial rights of America or is, you know, like who is Jesus fighting for? Like these, it's so easy to twist those things into Jesus is part of my people and I can dominate or like I can do, I can do these things on behalf of Jesus because we sing to Jesus every week. We sing these songs. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So I just it's, question I mean, I think it it's, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's almost impossible to sort of like, even in the spirit of like the ancient tradition of using military metaphors, which I'm not excited yeah. about. Like, I think it's impossible in an American context to do that with the larging standing, largest standing military in the history of humanity. Like, I don't think we're singing about it from the same perspective as this like small group of people who are passed from empire to empire. Like there's no way we can put ourselves in those shoes. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's just, that's something I've been every Sunday. I think about it, you know, just like, what are we singing this from? And, and when we worship in an, in a more individualistic way than communal way, like we're, we're singing on behalf of ourselves mostly still in most, in most white American churches, we're singing from that, like my soul, how is my, I see you, Jesus, what, what are we doing? How are we connecting? Like you're with each other, but the language of the songs is about me, you know, and to yeah. go to like a black church and have this, it's a very communal, like we have endured, like we are, you know, that, that was, that was a beautiful thing for me as an indigenous woman to be a part of that and to like, see how worship can be different in that way, you know, yeah. um, that meant a lot to me. So yeah, just processing that a lot all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, that raises a question that I ask myself, so I'm going to ask you um, just to help me process it selfishly. <laughs> what keeps you in church in those moments and when you see this, like, you know, all the flaws and quirks and things that we should leave behind, what keeps you going back? I think um, on the days where I'm just hard and tired like I can feel the hardness and like I'm just I'm done with this I'm tired of this like um who are we anymore you know like what are we even talking about what are we doing like you know which is this is just a personal like like I can still feel the softness of who Jesus is like and who Jesus calls us to be you know and um and that brings me back a lot and also like I have friends at my church a few friends who love me and I love them and we're community to each other. Now I could go back just to be with them. You know, like there are a lot of people I don't know in my church and I can wonder why they're singing these songs or what they're thinking. Like I know with my community and my friends, like I know why we're singing it. I know that they care about things like injustice. I know that they're trying to, 
you know, like they're trying to do the things that Jesus is calling them to do. You know, those things are important. It's important to, for me to remember that Jesus was not a colonizer. Like Jesus himself was never a colonizer or someone who wanted to assimilate people out of their culture and into whatever dominant, like that's not who Jesus ever was. And I have to remind myself of that all the time. Um, now that sometimes makes me want to like run far away from the institutional church, but it keeps me connected to the core of like, what are we supposed to be? And I'm willing to fight for that, you know, and that's why I stay. And that's important for me to share my experiences and have a voice that, that is like other indigenous voices, you know, to share my story and have people understand like these are the things we should be talking about too. You know, it's important and Jesus wouldn't ignore that. And so we shouldn't either, you know, I want to stay for that, for those conversations. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, myself included, feel that, feel that like draw to the stories, the symbols, the person of Jesus. Um, and at a certain point realize like, well, I don't get to just, you know, fly solo in that. Like, that's not my, right. I, I mean, you can, and I, I'm not, discrediting folks right. who like totally step away from church. I fully support that when that's needed. But eventually I had to circle back and say like, oh yeah, for all of its imperfections and things I would change about it, like this is also a communal activity. I don't get right. to just do this on my own. Right. So for anyone who is sort of like intrigued by mysticism and wants to kind of wade into it um, in terms of reading mystics anyone you would point them to you mentioned some names earlier yeah um brennan manning just has a really beautiful i think like kind spirit about him thomas merton is also wonderful but a little more <laughs> like let's fight empire sort of like um he might be a little intense for some um <laughs> brennan manning i mean richard Rohr is someone that i really love so i I read a lot of his stuff and his words mean a lot to me. And I mentioned Barbara Brown Taylor earlier and, and I don't know if other people consider her a mystic, but I certainly do. Um, cause she's a storyteller too. And her books, the way that they draw you in are, um, like, uh, learning to walk in the dark is one of hers that is just, um, her books are just stunning. And so if you can consider her a mystic and like see that as she's like a modern mystic, if you want to read a modern mystic, I think she's a really good one to to kind of pull you into that voice and that story. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, have you read any Jean Vanier? No. Fan of, you I should check out Jean Vanier, okay. Ashford listeners. Your writing makes me think of these people, so that's why oh, I'm great. throwing them okay. out at you. Oh, look. Um, Father Greg Boyle. Yes. By, yes. Yep. Love Father Greg. Another book that I would recommend to everybody, especially if you want to read an indigenous writer, um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, she's she's from my tribe, the Potawatomi Citizen Band, and she has a book called Braiding Sweet Grass, and it's also a lot of storytelling and just beautiful imagery, and still the same mystic heart without necessarily being Christian language. Like she's not, you know, she's not talking about Jesus or talking about, but like beautiful mystic language and dialogue as well. So yeah, awesome, very nice. Um, Oh my gosh. Oh, Wendell Berry. Oh, that's who yeah. I was trying to think of. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That's a, a well-known one. Yeah. Another good one. So cool. Well, if folks um, want to catch up with you, connect with you, hear more from you, where should they find you? Um, I'm most often on Twitter and my 
whatever handle is just Caitlin Curtis. So you can find me easily if you know how to spell both my names. Um, It'll be in yeah. the episode title, so they <laughs> can just you. steal it from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have a, a Facebook page, Caitlin Curtis Writer, and that one I you know post events coming up, stuff like that, you know, books coming up, things like that. So thank you so much for talking about your life, about the sacred, about God, your journey, your culture, your connections, your roots. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 